Alrighty, this morning uh, we're going to just continue on a little bit more in our um, stewardship series that we've been looking at over the last couple of months here at the vineyard. If I can just find my... Uh, I'm going to close off... Sorry, Thea, I'm going to close a few things down here on you <laughs> just so I can find my, find my way here. Um, here we go. I think this is the one here. Yeah, this is the one. Excellent. Thanks. Alrighty. We're just going to continue on in our stewardship series that we've been looking at um, and how um, in uh, early September when Di Hocking was here, God uh, spoke a word to us. She's a pastor from the Yarra Valley Vineyard in Victoria and she's, she said those words that the Holy Spirit was on and that was, don't play it safe, Vineyard Pine Rivers. Don't play it safe. And it sparked off a whole conversation about the expanding nature of God's kingdom for our lives personally and for our life as a church and for our region and how um, God has strategically placed this fellowship of believers to reach and touch people that, that God wants us to reach and touch. And, um, and so we also looked at how, um, um, well, John Bajaya, the pastor from the Westgate Vineyard, he came along a couple of weeks later and he gave a message about the expanding life of uh, discipleship as a follower of Jesus. And I thought that was really a little more than coincidental that John was uh, bringing those words as the Lord encouraged him to challenge and call us into a greater experience of the kingdom for our life personally and for um, the ministry of Jesus through the church here. And then uh, last week, if you were here, Lloyd, Lloyd and Vicky Rankin were with us from New Zealand. And Lloyd uh, also gave a, a great little uh, message about, you know, spending our lives on what really matters and how terrible it would be to wake up one day toward the latter parts of our life and realize we've spent our whole life on something that doesn't really count and, um, and invited us to follow Jesus. Now, this morning, I want to, um, you know, take a little bit of time to just sort of wrap some of that stuff up and, um, and bring us into a bit of a conclusion on it. So this was a quote that Morphew, that we've been looking at as well, one of the theologians of the Vineyard Movement, he says, it's not possible to see the world, creation and mankind and life through the eyes of the kingdom and remain petty or small-minded. When a man's or a woman's mind is shaped by the kingdom, they become great visionaries, expansive thinkers. And God's been doing that with us as a church. And it's been really great to even see that there's a number of people who are starting to get, you know, really stirred up about what would it look like if I allowed God to actually give me his vision for my life? What would it look like if we together um, came into a new space in a new season of following what God is wanting to do in terms of expanding our capacity and also the work of his love through this place? And um, so this morning, though, if you have your Bible with you or your app, I want you to just open it up to Hebrews chapter 13 in preparation. Hebrews chapter 13, just open it up there. And um, because this morning, uh, I, I, I want to address an issue of 
the issue of contentment, of is there such a, a place in our relationship with God where we can actually have a deep, profound sense of contentment when it comes to the issue of money, when it comes to the issue of kingdom resource, and, and our lives well spent. And um, this guy here, um, <coughs> Bernard Barrack, he was asked once, he's a millionaire, he was asked once, how much money does it take for a rich man to be satisfied? And Barack answered, just a million more than he has. And, and isn't, I mean, you know, he's obviously talking about, you know, large amounts of resources and monies. But, you know, whether it's money or whether it's relationships or whether it's workplace satisfaction or marital um, uh, bliss, you know, we're always in this, or relational um, relationships in which we find ourselves, we're always like, is there a place where, yes, this is good, but is there more? Um, and in regards to money, the whole idea of becoming content is really hard to live in, especially in our context. We live in a culture and a spiritual atmosphere as well where it's all based on consumption. And so our happiness or our sense of well-being or our sense of joy is based upon consumption, how much we consume and or how much is still available for us to reach for to consume and it's interesting though that um, uh, you know this not may not be your story but it's certainly mine the more that the more that we we find we have um, the more we want to actually go well that is as great as that is it doesn't really satisfy and I need more I need more there's always this longing and this reaching for more um, it was, probably wasn't until Nick and I were in our mid-30s and um, probably about 34, 35, where we actually really began to enter into a place in our marriage and in our family life. We had um, two little ones at this stage. And uh, at this point, we began to actually become content in this whole area with regards to money. We found this space of contentment now that we had always given generously we always love to give generously we always love to give to the life of the local church we always love to be generous to those around us with with the bits that we had so it wasn't about our practice it was about what was happening inside us in our relationship with Jesus as to why we were doing these practices of generosity and we discovered that Jesus it was inviting us to a place of contentment, deep contentment. And really what we discovered was the more that we actually came alive to who God said we were as his kids, as his children, as his sons and daughters, that we actually then f had this experience of contentment with regards to our money. So it wasn't the money that was giving us contentment, it was the fact that God was telling us who we were and we actually began to agree with God in that, in that truth of who he said we were that then released us to be able to use our money with great joy. Now, no doubt we live in a materially driven consumption-based world 
and we're exhorted and encouraged to continually buy into, literally, buy into the narrative that we need more money, we need more power, we need more material wealth, we need to look different, we need better sex, we need better careers, we need more, 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 more for us to find any sense of fulfilment. That's just the, that's the narrative that the world is constantly echoing and speaking to us. And it's not just the world, it's also a narrative that is being fueled by a demonic power, the prince of, 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 the, of the air, that scripture talks about is dynamically at work, opposed to the truth that there is contentment in God in all of those areas of our life that I just mentioned. And yet, the narrative of the world and the darkness tells us you just continue to need more, more, more. Now, the writer of the Hebrews that we're going to read in a second, when he wrote this, he was speaking to an early Christian community, probably about 65 years after, um, after Christ. And he's speaking to a group of people and he's reminding this Christian community that, hey, listen, you've lived through a whole bunch of really great stuff in the history of God. You've also learned what it means to have your lives persecuted, to have your properties taken off you, the resources that you thought you know you had had worked hard for removed from you by powers and authorities in the land and in with government and powers you've had that removed from you you've been thrown in prison you've had all sorts of oppression take place and just go read hebrews 10 and 11 and there's some crazy stuff in there like literally they were sawn in half <laughs> for the sake of the gospel i mean the, the the early christian community knew what the rough and tumble was of seeking to have this place of contentment with resources. And the reason why the early Christians were persecuted so ferociously was because they were actually defying the narrative of the time that the world was living in. And the narrative of Caesar, that he was king, and that, um, and that you needed more, more, more. And the early Christian community was saying, well, actually, no, Jesus is now king. And actually, everything we have, we freely give it away. And it was such a threat to culture. It was such a, a, um, a, such a threat and a dynamic power that great oppression came on the early Christian church because of their generosity and their hospitality was so countercultural, so countercultural that, um, that, that um, those in power and in government and local office were threatened by these so-called Christians because they were doing the opposite of what the narrative of the world was telling everyone to be about. So the early, the early Christians, they were coming under this, this um, great oppression. They were seeking to live in this place of expanded vision and living in the kingdom generosity of God, and yet they also had to live with a great sense of, of, of understanding this is a battle that I'm in. This is an unrelenting battle that I'm in, in this area of, of my resources. And, and the writer of the Hebrews makes point about that. Um, so I'm just going to jump across there to Hebrews 13.1. If you've got your Bible, your apps open, let's read this together or it's up on the screen. Hebrews 13, 1 to 6. So this is the last chapter in this letter. So it's the, it's the, it's the, um, the closing of this letter. So the writer says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. 
do not forget to entertain strangers because do, by doing so, you've entertained angels without even knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as if you're their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence... The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can a man do to me? It's a, it's a great reminder there of, some, of kingdom lifestyle in those few verses. But I want to touch on this area of contentment. There's an illustration here I found during the week. A Jewish man in Hungary, he went to his rabbi and he made this complaint. He said, my life is unbearable. There's nine of us who live in one room. What can I do? And the rabbi answered, Take your goat into the room with you. The man was incredulous, but the rabbi insisted, Do as I say and come back and see me in one week. Well, one week later, one week later the man returned looking more distraught than ever before. We can't stand this. He told the rabbi, the goat is filthy. And the rabbi said, go home and let the goat out and come back in one week. A week later, the man returned radiant and exclaiming, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there is no goat and there's only nine of us. I think, you know, we do need a, a radical shift in our perspectives. And, and that's exactly what that little story was trying to poke at. We need a new perspective of what contentment really is and where it flows from. Um, perhaps we need to be able to journey firstly into all of those places in our lives, materially, spiritually and relationally, where we are not content First, maybe we need to acknowledge them, those places where we find ourselves looking for something or some other spiritual experience or some other person to make us feel content. Once we've actually began to be honest, to be able to see those places in our life, God's love can touch us. His kingdom can come and bring a whole new way of living for us, a contentment that flows then into the way that we handle our life, our relationships, and our money, and be generous in all of those things. You may remember Paul when he wrote to the Philippian church from prison, and he wrote in Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, because I have learned that whatever state I am in, to be content, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. And everywhere in all things I've learned to both be full and to be hungry, to, to both abound and to suffer in need. And he says, and in all of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So for Paul, he's, he's, he, like the writer to the Hebrews, is telling us there is a different way to live 
and it's not based on consumption of material things or positions of power or how good we look or what we have or how much we have. There is another place that God is inviting all people to live from and it's a place of relationship with him. But firstly, we need to bring to God those places where we are deeply unfulfilled and unsatisfied or discontent. And actually, um, if you want to unpack it a little more brutally, that the some of the um, in the Greek that that's Hebrews thirteen one to six, it doesn't talk about being content. It, it it's actually a, a more of a negative um, statement, which says, "Stop being covetous." Stop being covetous. But the in the way the NIV guys have written it is in the positive, which is, you know, be 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 content with what you have. Be free from the love of money. And so, actually, discontentment is not just I, I'm unhappy in here. Discontentment is actually the fruit of coveting what others may have or what you see in another and going, I must have that for myself. That's not the Lord. And so um, we need to be honest and bring those places in our heart and our mind to the Lord. Now, just very quickly... The writer of the Hebrews says this. He says, keep your life free. Now, last night or on Friday night um, was the first uh, game of the new A-League season. So for those of you who may follow the footy uh, and soccer, um, Friday night, the Brisbane Brisbane Raw and uh, the Melbourne Victory played at Suncorp Stadium. And for night... Coming towards the end of the game, uh, Melbourne was winning 1-0. Right up until the 95th minute, which is like right at the hooter, right when full time is about to happen. And then just at the very last second, um, the Brisbane Raw, one of the players returning from after 18 months of injury, gets onto the field and he actually lobs this little kick just just enough to just go over the top of the goalkeeper and into the back of the net. And so Brisbane evens up the score. It's one all, and then then it's full time. And so it was a draw, much to the disgust of Melbourne, the Melbourne victory, but much to the thanks of the Brisbane Raw supporters and and coach. But the point is um, that I'm trying to make here, I think that that's a good illustration, is the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper's role is to watch the game and when the game is come, the offensive work of the opposition is coming towards them, the, the work of the goalkeeper is to do everything they can to prevent that ball from getting into the back of the net. And I think that's the posture that God, the scripture is actually talking about here because it's a verb, it's a keep your life, it's a participate with what God's inviting you into here with regards to your freedom. And lean into this, but keep your life free from the love of money. In other words, that ball, that love of money thing that's in the culture, in the atmosphere, and in the spirit is going to constantly come at you and me in all different ways, in all different veins, and at all different times, and through many different relationships. And it's going to want to get over you and into the back of the heart, the back of the, that net, the back of the net. But the posture is one of maintaining this, like, keep yourself free from that. 
partner with God, realizing that he wants to keep you free from it as well. There is a defensive nature in this. And the way through this is to actually invest into who God says we are and to see what his kingdom is doing and partner with him and and so we can keep ourselves free from the love of money. Um, you know, money is a really powerful medium, and it, and that's all it is. It's just a medium. It's just a tool. It's just a thing. But unfortunately, we've given money this this place in our culture and the way we've grown up as as this thing that has the capacity to determine who we are and our value. And unfortunate, that's a very unfortunate thing, and it's also a very powerful prison. But the kingdom life, the life that God offers us in Jesus, is to live out from underneath the power of that as we've been taken, John tells us, from that kingdom and into the kingdom of the Son whom God loves in Jesus Christ. It's, it's a really powerful thing. I mean, right now, um, you know, Every other ad on TV is about, do you have enough super? Because if you don't, you're not going to be cared for. You're going to, you know, your life's going to be miserable and blah, 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 blah. That is the constant narrative of the world, that the kingdom comes to break through with the goodness of God. Now, keeping our hearts free does require a relationship that then leads to a lifestyle. That's what we're encouraging everyone to here. In the absence of partnering with Jesus, money quickly wants to become and take that place as your Lord. Um, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus said in uh, Matthew 6, pop that up there. Jesus said in Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now I wonder if we really listen to Jesus when he says that. And this is Jesus offering us kingdom kingdom wisdom. Kingdom wisdom to a whole new way of living life. No one can serve two masters. The reason why he's having to say this is because we spend our whole life trying to do just that. Serve two masters. And we wonder why we are deeply discouraged and discontent. Because we have allowed money to want to be Lord, sometimes even greater than our willingness for Christ to be Lord. Jesus has got a lot to say in that one little statement. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And you cannot serve both God and money. You just can't do it as much as you think you can. That's, that's the attitude that he's also addressing. As much as you think in your wisdom you can, he's letting us know as the Lord of heaven and earth, you just can't. You just can't. Um, <clears throat> Nick and I continue to grow and learn in having Jesus be our daily good life-giving master and king. And he has helped us and continues to help us keep our hearts and our lives free from the love of money. And we've also learnt that in seasons of spiritual battle and contest, and in the absence 
of our willingness to partner with Jesus as Lord and Master, that simply means he says, could you do this for me? And we go, nah. <laughs> we go, nah. He, in doing that, we have opened the door for the love of money to find a place in the back of our hearts. A simple no to the Lord opens the door for the love of money to want to come and be Lord. And it's in those times of spiritual contest and battle that we find ourselves asking for forgiveness, again to be set free by his love and handle money the way our master wants us to. But are we really listening and learning? Um, in Hebrews 13 there, the writer to the Hebrews, he, he says, um, because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. It's really interesting that he, the writer to the Hebrews uses that comment because what he's doing is he's taking a scripture from Deuteronomy, which is right on the eve of when um, Moses is giving final instructions to Joshua and, his, and to the whole nation of Israel as they are about to cross over into the inheritance of their kingdom promised land as they're about to come into that. And so what, what's interesting is the Hebrew of the writers is grabbing that scripture from that context and he's saying, if you will lean into the promises of God, you will cross through this barrier and come into your kingdom breakthrough experience because never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, if, if, let's, let's also think about Jesus when he uses these words. Jesus, just before he, is, he ascends to be with the Father, he's, he's lived his life, he's died on the cross, buried for three days and risen again, spent a number of weeks walking planet Earth again as the resurrected Christ, teaching people on the kingdom of God. And then, just as he's about to ascend to sit with the Father, he says, Now all authority has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So here again, this is on the eve of a great outpouring work of God that will take the message of the good news of the kingdom from where Jesus is to the world. See, the kingdom is expanding and it's wanting to break out. But the breaking out of the kingdom comes through the people who live in the space and the relationship of realizing our God's with us. Our God never leaves us. Our God never forsakes us. His spirit is generous upon us. We have everything that we need in Christ Jesus. Along with him, every spiritual blessing that Paul writes in Ephesians is upon us. And so we can be generous with what God's giving us because we are free from the love of money. We don't live under the power of that atmosphere and that, that dynamic anymore. And we are now kingdom people. And that breaks open the advance of God in the earth. That breaks through the advance of God in your own situations. When we realize and live from the relationship of, I know that God never leaves me. I know that God never forsakes me. 
I know this and I trust this to be the case because this is who he is. This is how he's revealed himself in history. He's revealed himself to me, to those around me, and will continue to be the same because Jesus has no shadow of turning in him at all. So to, to come into a new space of deep contentment in here about how to handle money it really does come into this place of, will I live from this, the truth that God will never leave me and he'll never forsake me? Now, just if you got the time this week, go back and read what happens after Deuteronomy 31. Go back and read that about what it was like for the people then to actually move into their kingdom promise and inheritance, what they actually had to engage with, all the giants, all the opposition, all the spiritual oppression, but they broke through it and came into because they trusted that God had said, never will I leave you. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying that to the early Christian church, trust that the God who was the God for Moses that led them out of Egypt, that is the God that now led Joseph, uh, um, Joshua and the people of God out of through that great deliverance and into the promise of kingdom life. Go back and rest in him and go back and rest in, in the truth of who Jesus is who says the very same words, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you. You've got to live from there if you want to truly know financial freedom. That is where we live from with regards to financial freedom and resource, is trusting that Jesus is a good master. There is great wisdom in what he has to say to us. Contentment. Am I content? A friend of mine once said to me, and it was a great little saying, he said, I said, how do you know if you're content with things in life? And he said, well, you just need to ask yourself this question. To what or to who in my life do I still need to consult before I can say, yes, Lord, in regards to handling money? He says, and there you will find where you're at in regards to coming into the contentment that God has for you. What do you have to consult before you can say yes to Jesus' good wisdom and ideas about how to use your money? And we've looked at where to give and what priorities to give. You know, we've talked about how Jesus said, I've come to build my church and the, and the authority of the kingdom will be with her. First things first, we give to the life of the fellow, local church, the life of the local believers, the poor. We give to the, to the care and the work of the poor. We give to our immediate family. We give to our kingdom family. All of these things that we went through in Scripture. And we also looked at the, the practical realities of that where Paul says, give weekly. Put a practice and a system in your life and some spiritual discipline in your life. Give weekly. Give generously. Think about it in advance. Plan for it. Work towards these things and have these, these, these things in place in your life. And today what we're saying is be content in who God says that you are and who God says that I am. And from that place, we keep ourselves free from the love of money. We keep ourselves free from the love of money. This morning, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is wanting to encourage each of us. And I thought it was a very interesting that Karen felt this morning to do a listening activity. 
to actually listen to the voice of the Lord. And I think that's what's on God's heart this morning. Is it, are we listening to him? It's not like this is a new dynamic for God having to work with his people because the prophet Isaiah said, they seem keen to know my ways. In other words, they're very attentive and they're listening. But Isaiah said also, their hearts are far from God, even though yeah, they're good listeners, but their hearts are far from God. So we can listen, but where are our hearts in regards to this area of money? Have we learned by partnering with the Holy Spirit, have we put into action what we've heard from God and his word? The writer to the Hebrews, I'll just find that slide, I'll go back there. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. See, there's the inspiration for our freedom because God wants to be God for us. God wants to bring his kingdom to us and therefore the fruit of that life is, like the writer of the Hebrews says, with confidence I can say this, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can the narrative that the world and the enemy is trying to propagate, what can they do to me? Because I've kept my life free from the love of money and centered and confident in who God is and his love for my life. So this morning, I want to. I just thought we might pray into this, and just give our hearts the opportunity to bring to bring to God those areas where we're discontent in our heart, whether it's our finances, whether it's our relationships, whether it's our vocations, just all of that. We're going to just bring all of that and say, "Hey, God, can you just like just shine your light into my heart for a few minutes here?" Show me where I'm deeply discontented. Show me where I'm, I'm not resting in this love that you have for my life, in the truth that you've said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And at the same time, bring to the Lord those places where we know we have either ignored his voice or we have become frustrated that the kingdom hasn't advanced and yet we really deep down know it's because we're not prepared to do business at this level with God. There's an opportunity for honesty for you this morning with before God. He will meet you there. He will meet you there. Because the testimony of the scriptures is that he loves to come when we pray. And it's our experience here as well. So can we just, let's just stand and pray together as we finish up this morning. Let's stand and pray and just invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to our hearts in this moment. Father, we give you thanks for all that you're doing here at the Vineyard and for every life that you're continuing to add to the fellowship and and the way that you're just seeking to just bring the, the reality of your rule and reign into every part of our life. The whole person. 
And so this morning, Holy Spirit, I just welcome you. Would you please come now? Would you please come as we've just postured ourselves this morning underneath the grace of your, of your word? And it's just speaking to our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Just let the light of your love just show those places and spaces in our heart, God, where we're not content. Come, Holy Spirit. Have that conversation, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you begin to give us a bigger, more expanded, joy-filled picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. With our whole life, all of who we are. I pray the power of your promised words Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Lord, would those words that came from your heart, would they just find deep, good soil this morning in our hearts? Thank you, Holy Spirit. More, Lord. Just pay attention. I just want to encourage you, pay attention to what God's doing in you right now. So let the power of his grace come to your heart and your mind and to begin to replace the narrative of the world and the enemy with the narrative of his love, his kingdom, his authority, his power, his lordship and his great, great, great love for each and every one of us. Just pay attention to it as he just births that in your heart. Come Holy Spirit. We, we, we see you this morning, Lord, profoundly breaking the power of the spirit of this age off our life. And we say thank you. Thank you that we live not under the power of the enemy of this world, but we live in your good kingdom. Come, Holy Spirit. Encourage your people. Encourage the people of Jesus in this room right now. And Father, for everything and everyone and even every idea that we've generated, 
out of ourselves that we seek to con- that we continue to consult before we say yes to you lord we're just sorry for that and we offer it back to you and in exchange would you be so kind god as to yet again give us jesus give us jesus i pray And I thank you, Lord, and I just make a declaration in your name that all sin is gone, all shame is broken, and freedom now reigns in here to embrace all that you're doing, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And Lord, I I also just want to ask that this week, as your people go about doing life with you, I pray that there would be a, like an increase in the conversation this week about the area of this, this money thing, this money stuff. Just increase the conversation, Jesus. Show us the better life. And not just show us, Lord, empower us to live it, that we might see the kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray.